0: Welcome to another
1: episode of the Peep Potential Success Show. My name is Fon Chua. I'm an entrepreneur, business strategist, real estate investor, speaker, and also best-selling author. And every single day, I help others unlock potentials and guide them to succeed. Today on the show, I'm very, very excited because I have a powerhouse of a guest. This person that I've seen on stage a few times, he's very passionate about what he does. He's always speaking on panels and speaking to hundreds and thousands of people and been featured on so many interviews and also publications as well. He is an expert and uh, a very passionate, passionate in decision making, so he is an absolutely great guest for us today. He is the world's leading decision scientist and also an expert in uh, the theory of constraints. And it really circles around the question, why do good people make and often repeat bad decisions? From there, he's developed the Procon, a cloud method, and the Harmony decision making app. He's helped so many people from leaders to teams to Fortune 500 companies uh, eradicate those dark clouds in our day-to-day lives, making better, faster decisions when it really matters. He is the CEO of Gold Rad Research Labs. He's a multi-award winner from top PhD researcher, innovation, business app. So please welcome entrepreneur, scientist, author, podcast host, speaker, app developer, and of course, strategy advisor, Dr. Alan Bernard.
0: Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm really looking forward to this.
1: Hey, awesome. Thank you very much for your time and uh, spending some time here with us. So, first of all, I just wanted to know how did you get to who you are today and why are you so passionate about decision making?
0: Yeah. Well, I, I grew up in South Africa and, you know, like many of the listeners and viewers, I grew up without much resources and uh, was always very curious about how some people can become very successful despite having very limited starting conditions, you know parents have never graduated, maybe they grew up in a very poor environment, they do not go to a great school. How is it that some people can become successful despite these limiting starting conditions? And that can include things like learning disabilities, et cetera. And, and what I realize that it's really all about decision-making. It's not so much about the starting conditions that we face. It's about the starting assumptions that we have when we make decisions. And, you know, the the quote that kind of epitomized that was the quote by Henry Ford that said, whether you believe you can do something or can't, you're right. So so that was kind of something that really inspired me. And then there was another thing that I I learned from studying science, you know, um, is that in science, there's this concept called one case is a proof. Uh, Basically, what it says is if you think about the black swan example as as one that's often quoted, right, it says, you could have scientists out there going to observe swans, and every time they do, the swans are white, at what point can you confidently say that all swans are white, if you've had 10 observations, 100, 1000, 1 million, well, in science, you can never prove something right you can only prove it wrong. So the whole scientific method is designed to find ways of proving yourself wrong. In fact, that's the essence of critical thinking is critically looking at how you are thinking, trying to to find flaws in your assumptions and your thinking. So if you think about, imagine growing up in a very poor environment, right? your parents have never had any uh, degrees um, and you think, well, probably you're going to end up doing the same job as what your parents did. What this one case is a proof says to you is if you can just find one case of somebody that's similar to you that managed to escape the poverty, Mm -hmm. that is enough to show you that it's possible. Wow. Right. The fact that you've seen so many people that got stuck in a poverty cycle, um, that makes no difference. All that you need is to show that there's one case that was different. And of course, you know, when my grandfather encouraged me to read uh, this uh, amazing book called the Marquis Who's Who List, it's this big book of biographies of some of the most successful people on the planet in every possible field. And when you read these biographies, you find out, that most of them have overcome major, you know, limiting conditions when they grew up, extreme poverty, some of them were subject to massive neglect or even abuse. Um, You know, others had learning disabilities or physical disabilities, and yet they overcame that. And all that they needed, you know, is like one case, right, to show that it was possible. And that, to me, sort of set me off on the spot to say, okay, so I want to go and study decision-making. I want to understand how is it that some people, by making the right type of decision, can become very, very successful. And and that sort of set me onto this path of studying decision-making and understanding how important the assumptions on which we make decisions become the common mistakes that we make, and how best to avoid those mistakes. Mm.
1: Now, as a scientist, it's not that common to pick the topic of Um, decision-making. I'm sure a lot of people are kind of shocked when you go, you're a decision scientist? What what exactly is that? And uh, they probably come up with certain beliefs or assumptions themselves. So right. right now, are there some things that you hear all the time that are completely false when people go, oh, so this is what you do?
0: Yeah. Um, so first of all, it's, it's just to put it in perspective, if you think about if your goal is to be successful, right, there's sort of four conditions that will determine your success. Two of them are out of your control. Two of them are in your control. The two that's out of your control is good genes. You might just be lucky. To have been born with the right genes that helps you to you know to deal with risk much better than other people, or that you're much less sensitive to what other people think about you. So if you've got good genes, including you know you're a very attractive guy, you know that life is gonna be a little bit easier for you, right? It's unfair, it's grossly unfair, but that's a reality. If you've got good genes, either by the way that you look, the way that you emotionally react, your intellect, you are just lucky, and it has a big impact on success. It doesn't mean that it guarantees success or that if you don't have good genes, it means that you can never be successful. It just means that it's going to be a lot more harder work for somebody that didn't get great genes. The second part is good luck, right? I have uh, a number of friends that are billionaires. And one thing that always strikes me is when you talk to these people, they know how much of their success is based on good luck. If you think about, there's always almost infinite ways to get it wrong, right? If you think about just a simple recipe for making a cake, four steps, four ingredients, you know, one temperature setting, how many ways are there to get it wrong compared to right? So, so when you think about your life journey, there's so many places that you could have gotten it wrong that could have made a difference between success and failure. So those are the two things that are out of your control. Good genes, good luck. The things that are in your control is hard work, right? It doesn't matter what you pick. It's going to be hard work. You know, Uh, whether you're a scientist or an entrepreneur or even a, a media influencer, right, somebody that is making their living on social media, they work damn hard, you know, they have to post multiple times every single day, so hard work is a given, but then the other part is good decisions, and that's the area that decision scientists focus on. Is the good decisions part. You know, theory of constraints can show you in terms of hard working, you know, what are the best ways of being much more productive? You know, don't multitask, don't overcommit all of those things. But the decision-making part is really what decision scientists study. And as you mentioned in your introduction, the first part of that is understanding the mistakes that we can make. There's some avoidable mistakes. And there's unavoidable mistakes. So when you trust your partner, right? You say, well, when I decided to trust them, I looked at everything that was available and I trusted them. But then they ended up disappointing me or breaking that trust. Can you learn anything from that? Well, sometimes it's just unavoidable, right? That you're gonna make a mistake. If I ask you to predict how much you will sell of a specific product at a specific location, it's very likely that you're going to be wrong. That's an unavoidable mistake, but there's a lot of avoidable mistakes. And those avoidable mistakes we sort of classify in terms of what what are the mistakes that we make and what's the main reason for that. And you can think about if you made an avoidable mistake, there's one of three reasons. Ignorance, which is you did not know, okay. It's very easy to check if somebody made a mistake because of ignorance, is yes, you educate them and see if they change a the decision. So if you uh, got addicted to a, something bad, like smoking or drinking or drugs, whatever, and we want to know that you get addicted because you are ignorant, then we'll educate you to show you how bad it is. And if it changes your behavior, we know it's ignorance. Unfortunately, most cases, it's not ignorance, mm-hmm. right? It's one of the other two reasons. The, the second reason is inertia, which is I knew, but I decided not to act, not to change my behavior. So I know that eating a lot of sugar is bad, and yet I keep on eating sugar. That's inertia. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's inertia. And what's behind inertia is not laziness or ignorance. What's behind inertia is normally fear. I'm scared to give up something that I want to keep or I'm scared to gain something I don't want. So the decision methodology that I've developed that you mentioned, Procon Cloud Method and the Harmony Decision Maker app is a very simple way of quickly finding out if the problem is out of ignorance or is it inertia, which means that there's some exaggerated fear of losing something or gaining something that can cause me to procrastinate, or there's an exaggerated frustration or expectation that can cause me to overreact. So the methodology and the app is just a very quick way of doing that. The last reason is called ineptitude. This says I knew, I acted, but I compromised in some way. And the compromise caused me to get only a partial result. It's like, I know I have to do exercise, but rather than doing 10 minutes a day, I did 10 minutes a week and I didn't get the full outcome, right? That's a different problem to solve than the one that that means it's inertia, which means I haven't even acted. And that's essentially what we do from a decision science perspective is we study decision-making, particularly what mistakes are avoidable versus unavoidable. In the avoidable mistakes, we classify them into consequential versus non-consequential. Like, you know, you can uh, dress funny and appear at work and people laugh at you, right? It might feel like you're going to die in the moment, right? But a week later, it'll be a funny story. So it's not a consequential decision mistake. So you shouldn't spend hours and hours to try and imagine. Of course, you have to stay away from the extremes in that case. But trying to understand whether the decision that you're making is consequential is an important part. And then to say, okay, if it's a consequential decision, I want to make sure that I make the right decision. And we use this framework that can kind of give the the listeners and the reason uh, and the, the viewers, a mental framework of thinking about decisions. It's called E plus R equal O. So E stands for the events that we will face in our, in our life and in our business. These events are mostly out of our control and they can be positive or negative, right? So in a business environment, a, a negative event would be that I sold much less than I expected or new competitor came in and undercut my pricing or I lost one of my key people. These are negative events. A positive event would be that I sold much more than I expected or somehow, you know, my product appear on an Oprah Vinfrey show and suddenly it's blowing out, right? Uh, In a a personal perspective, you know, a negative event could be that I suffered neglect or abuse, or I lost somebody that was really special to me, or I'm being bullied, right? Or I've, I've got a genetic problem and I'm, you know, very much overweight. So I always will get positive and negative events. The R is the response. And the O is the outcome. And if you just think about what's the permutations, if you have a negative event and you have a negative response, the outcome is double negative. Oh. You've just made it worse. <laughs> and sometimes much worse. Mm. If you have a negative event and you have a positive response, you will at worst get a small negative and maybe it can even wipe out the negative. Mm-hmm. If you have a positive event and a negative response, like somebody comes to you and say, wow, you look amazing today. And you go, what do you want? <laughs> right? That's a negative response, right? It can wipe out those positives. And we need those positives in our life, you know, to give us meaning and joy and fulfillment. But if you have a positive event and you have a positive response, you have a double positive. Mm-hmm. Now, those two extremes, the double negative and the double positive, is what I call hell no and hell yes decisions. Right. right. You want to stay away from those hell no decisions that has a big, big downside hmm. and only a, a small upside potential. Hmm. The hell yes decisions are ones that has a big, big upside and a small downside. Right. And right. essentially what we do when we study decision making. There's a couple of principles, we want to show people that that formula is going to govern your success in life, E plus R equal O, right. Second thing is that you can always make anything better or worse, Hmm. and sometimes much better or much worse, depending on your response, but then what's the common mistake is that when we make decisions a very large percentage, and there's some dis- dispute about what it is, is it 90%, 95%, 99%, but a very large percentage of our decisions are made in fully automatic mode. Yeah. So we don't actually respond, we react. And when we react in automatic mode, we often overreact and underreact. So what you do you want to do Is if the event that has happened, whether it's positive or negative, if it's a consequential event, you want to catch yourself before you react and just slow down a little bit so you can respond. Mm -hmm. And responding in an appropriate way means deciding what outcome do I want? And even more important, what outcome do I not want? Right? (laughs) And then think about what's the best response. And I think the last, last important principle here is that we also learn that there's a difference between a good decision and a good outcome and a bad decision and a bad outcome. Those are not the same thing. So imagine you being you out with a client, taking them to dinner or with your spouse, And you have a couple of glasses of wine, right? And you face a decision should I drive home? Mm -hmm. Or should I leave my car there and take an Uber? And you make a decision, you say, well, I feel okay, you know, and you drive home and you arrive safely at home. Was that a good decision? Mm -hmm. It was a good outcome. You got home safely but it was a horrible decision because there was a potential that you could have been involved in a crash somebody could have died or you could have been pulled over and get locked up etc yeah. so that's something is think about the outcome that you want right i want to get home safely i don't want to hurt anybody i don't want to uh, be arrested and get sent to jail and then think about what's the best response here mm-hmm. that makes sense so so that's kind of the framework of decision-making to realize you can always make things better or worse by your response, that the most common mistake that we make is we react. When we react, we often react based on strong emotions. We overreact or underreact based on some exaggerated fear of loss or effort or risk, or we or we overreact based on some exaggerated frustration or expectation. And it's just putting the pause button down and allow you to slow down your thinking. If it's a consequential event that has happened, think what's the best possible response here. And that means thinking about what's the outcome that you want and don't want. And then think about what's the best possible response. Wow.
1: That that's a, there's a lot of great nuggets throughout that whole series of uh, stuff that you said. And I, I liked how you talked about the, basically there's, there's an underlying reason why people make those decisions. Well, there's, yeah. it's so often people people go, oh, that person made a bad decision. That's because they're stupid or that's because of this and it's usually negative. But you've highlighted yeah. that, well, there must be a, a fear there or another reason there, or a good reason for them to make that decision. Okay. So it let's us kind of take a step back and reevaluate how we view people, how we judge people or how we kind of evaluate certain situations.
0: That's an important part is the, the first thing that we teach in decision-making is the importance of having a starting assumption that people are good, Mm -hmm. including you, but good people make bad decisions for good reasons, right? Right. And what are these good reasons? And that's essentially what we study is that mostly those good reasons is some kind of exaggerated fear or frustration. It's like one of the the areas that we're working on is with addiction at the moment, right? Mm -hmm. And we are all addicted to something. Why do we get addicted to something? Is because we've experienced some kind of trauma or there's some kind of expectation gap where we expect it to be when we turn 40 versus where we are, right? And that gap is causing suffering and pain. Mm. And we really have only three ways of dealing with that gap. The first one is we try to look for someone or something to blame. Right. As soon as I can find something or someone to blame, the government, my parents, my idiot boss, or my spouse, whatever, I'm off to hook, and it actually protects you from the suffering. Mm. I mean, it's not very useful, right, <laughs> because it causes disharmony and conflict, but that's why we've developed blame, because it's a protection mechanism. Right. right? The other way of dealing with that large gap is you start lowering your expectations which also can be very effective to say, you know what, I was silly to think that I'm going to come up with one original idea or save the planet. I was just silly, you know, I need to be much more practical and realistic with my. But as you know, the the problem with with expectations is they often become self-fulfilling prophecies, right? And at some point they catch up with you because you, you remember that younger self of you that was so ambitious that wanted to change the world and now you're stuck in a job that you hate and you're in a relationship with somebody that you you don't like and like that brings back the suffering right the third way of dealing with it is basically finding something that distracts us from the emotional pain and you are just lucky if you get addicted to a good distraction Mm -hmm. You're unlucky if you get addicted to a bad distraction. So if you, every time you feel anxious, you reach out to eat something or to drink something or to smoke something uh, or to social media or to pornography or to exercise or to work, right? That becomes your way of dealing with the emotional pain. Mm-hmm. It's just a distraction. So that a big part of the decision-making insights Um, is to realize that addiction is not the problem. It's our way of trying to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. The problem is the pain, the gap. So rather than ask why the addiction, you have to ask why the pain.
1: Mm. That that is fascinating. I I like how you talked about that that segment and how to deal with all that stuff. But also, you kind of illustrated all the background stuff that happens when somebody makes a decision. We're so quick to react to certain things that we don't really right. think about all the background stuff. So where is that line between analysis versus paralysis, where you sit there and go, okay, I need what well, this is going to happen or that's going to happen you can't you come up with all these scenarios before you make a decision, versus you know what, I need to make a decision.
0: Yeah. Now, that's a great, that gap. It's a great point. So. If you think about that equation, E plus R equal O, right? There's a couple of things that make that equation complicated in real life conditions. The first one is if you decide on a response, every response that you decide on will have a positive and a negative. It doesn't just have a positive or just a negative. It has both a positive and a negative, right? If I stop smoking, it has the positive of helping me, you know, um improve my life get my my taste back you know be a better partner not expose my kids etc but it also has a potential negative which is the withdrawal symptoms the anxiety that i don't have a a way of coping with stress so that's the first problem is that every response has a positive and negative a negative, and i have to figure out a way of deciding whether to do it yes or no right the second part is that there's always at least two responses I can do something versus do nothing, or I can do something versus do something else. Mm-hmm. And each of those responses has a positive and a negative. And then the last part is that it's very difficult to predict accurately what the outcome will be, the positive and the negative. Mm-hmm. But this is, this is kind of what we've built into our Procon Cloud method, is you have some kind of problem situation, an event that has happened, positive or negative, The first thing that you want to do is make sure that it's consequential. So in the app, we'll ask you, so this thing happened, why is it important to you and the people that you care about? And then we pause you and say, look at what you've written. Is it really important enough for you to make a good decision, to take a couple of minutes to actually make a good decision, right? If you say yes, then we go on, okay, what's the options that you have? I can change this thing or not change it, or I can change this thing versus change another. And then what's the unique pros and cons of each of these options that you have? So that helps you to understand why it's such a difficult decision. If you only had one response as an option and the the outcome was always positive or negative, it would be an easy decision. But it's a fact that you always have two responses. Each one of them have got pros and cons or pluses and minuses that makes it complicated. But there is some good news. Even though it's very hard to predict accurately into the future, what the positive and negative outcomes could be, we are actually really good at predicting best case and worst case, number one. Mm -hmm. And secondly, we are actually quite good at predicting our feelings. Right. Those are two critical requirements that can help you to get out of the procrastination analysis paralysis is Mm -hmm. don't try to think about what the likely outcome is try to think about the best case and worst case situation. So imagine if you're in a a business and you say the best case scenario is that my sales, if I did this change, if I develop this new product or go into this new market, my best case scenario is that I will increase my revenues by a million. And you say, okay, what's the worst case scenario? It will only go up by 100,000. Okay, now think about the cost, right? What is the best case scenario? Um, My cost will increase by 50,000. Okay. What's the worst case scenario? My cost will increase by 80,000. If the worst case increase in cost is still lower than the worst case increase in revenue, it's Mm -hmm. a brilliant decision. Don't even hesitate, make it immediately. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the way of reframing your mind to think about what's the the, the 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 worst case upside and what's the worst case downside and comparing that mm. does that make sense oh, so, yeah. so that, that's a way of overcoming this massive problem that we have is that you can never accurately predict you know how what will happen but we can quite accurately predict in most cases what the best case and worst case is and I want to go for those decisions, those held yes decisions that has a big upside if it works, even in worst case conditions, and a small downside if it doesn't work even in worst case conditions. Mm. And, and, and everybody- About how it makes you feel, right? And people have to remember that in these
1: situations, double negatives do not turn into a positive. It it's, it's increases exponentially, right? So. Yeah.
0: There's, there's never a good reason to react negatively it's as simple as that right now we can't we often can't help ourselves right you lose your temper you promised yourself that you'll never do it and then you do it and you say nasty things etc but there's always that moment where you catch yourself that you can go back and say listen this is this is not going to get me the outcome that i want mm-hmm. That's the only way to judge if a good if a decision is good or bad is to say what is the outcome that i want is this my is my response my decision is it going to make the situation better or worse mm-hmm. or there's, also better? That,
1: there's, there's also that 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 gap that you can reduce to get to that point faster and go okay i'm gonna to have to take that emotion out of it and, yeah. and and maintain that positive mindset as much as you can Right? So for someone like yourself, you're an expert in decision making, how, how do you keep your mind still that sharp and be able to reduce that gap as much as possible on a daily basis?
0: You know, the, you mentioned this idea about a, a dark cloud, right? So one of the questions that we have as decision scientists is when should you trust your intuition, which is essentially that automatic way of making decisions, Right. Versus when should you slow down your thinking? Like Daniel Kahneman that wrote a book, Thinking Fast and Slow. He talks about system one and system two. System one is our fully automatic way of thinking, which is essentially intuition instinct. And system two is our more deliberate way of thinking, actually cognitively thinking through it. right? There are cases where our intuition, following our intuition is the right thing to do. But there are also cases where following our intuition is the worst possible thing to do. So, so decisions, you know, somebody in decision making or coaches that tells you, oh, all that you need to do is to go five, four, three, two, one, decide. And then it means that you'll always use your instinct and your intuition or your gut feel. And you are, those are generally right. That's complete nonsense. We make constant mistakes when we are making decisions based on instinct and intuition. So what I love to do is to say, my intuition is normally pretty powerful to tell me whether this is a consequential decision or not. Right. So if it feels like it's a dark cloud that's hanging over me, Mm -hmm. guess what? Take the time, take a couple of minutes, maybe an hour or two, to really think through this to slow down your thinking, to think about, is this really important enough for me to make a decision now? Is it something I can actually do something about? If so, then what's my options? What's unique pros and cons of each of these? Are there better options that has more pros and less cons? What are all the possible things that can go wrong? All the yes, buts, right? How do I use my my intuition about all these yes buts and other people's intuitions about yes buts about what can go wrong to make my solution even more robust and Mm -hmm. then finally how do i create an experiment that i can go and try it? what i've just described to you is basically the five steps of my pro con cloud method what's the problem why is it important what's the conflict and why it's difficult to make a decision what are the better options what are all the yes buts? How do I turn it into yes ands? And how do I design an experiment that I can go and try?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I like how you uh, really focus on taking that time because lots of people don't realize that they have more time than they actually have when it yeah. comes to decision-making, right? They don't go, oh, no, we have to do it right away. But they could actually yeah. take the time to think about
0: it. Now, and I know it, you have... It's, it's interesting, just the last point about it. You know, when we When we think about a flow state of mind, right? That flow state of mind is when we are productive, when you get, you know, five days of work done in kind of five hours, right? And in the same, in a, in a kind of a, a business environment flow is when the work is just flowing through the system, right? There's no interruptions, no delay. When it comes to decision-making, the gap between the time it actually takes us to make a decision and the elapsed time is huge. Sometimes we walk around with a decision for weeks, months, sometimes years, mm-hmm. where if we just sat down and we actually thought through a systematic way of making it. You can make a decision within a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're encouraging people to do is to say, the next time something happens, think about whether this is a consequential decision, yes or no. If it is, then slow down your thinking have a tool like the Procon cloud method or other tools out there that will help you to slow down your thinking, look at it from all different objectives, evaluate all the various options. And this is not something that has to take days or weeks. It can be done within a few hours of just focused attention.
1: Mm. Wow. In a very short period of time, You've given so much great value, so much great insight into just, just decision-making alone. And it's such a big, big topic. Uh, I know you have a podcast and you also have a book and also the, the app. Uh, tell us more about those things and how people could get those.
0: Yeah, so if somebody says to me, how do you summarize what you do? I, it's basically two things. is helping people make impossible decisions. And why do we call it impossible? Because most consequential decisions We have multiple options. Each of these options have got some unique pros and cons. And then we get stuck and we don't know what to do. right? Mm -hmm. Um, So how do I, with that level of complexity, how do I develop new options that has more pros and less cons? So that's kind of what my Pro-Con Cloud Method is all about, is how do you make impossible decisions? And we've been able to simplify the approach down. That um, I, I was a few years back, I was asked by Ted for their TED Summit, uh, which is this very special, unique event that's 1,000 people attending, of which most of them are the top TED talkers of all time, and I was given an opportunity in 90 minutes to facilitate the workshop of how do you make impossible decisions using my broken cloud method and Harmony Decision Maker app. I had 15 minutes to, pres- to, to, to teach people on how to use it. That had 60 minutes to go through all five steps. And then we had 15 minutes at the end to share insights. And it was amazing how many new insights some of the top people in the world could get just by having a simple way of, of making decision. The second goal is how do you achieve impossible goals? And that part, we are always looking for disruptive questions. A question that if I asked you that question will change everything. It will help you to discover a limiting assumption and find a way of overcoming it. And I was extremely fortunate to have discovered this. Um, It's called impossible unless. So I want you and the the viewers and listeners to think about the goal that is really important to them, but which they think is impossible to achieve. If they have a goal that's important and it's, and it's realistic, it means that they think they already know how to do it, right? So in such a case, my advice is, is increase the magnitude or reduce the time until you say now it's impossible. Right. And that's an important thing because when something becomes impossible, it means that we have now admitted that we no longer know how to do it. And that's an important mental state to get yourself into is now I realize I don't know how to do it. Now, how do I get out of that? Because it might cause me not to even try, right? I want you to try. So the simplest question I could come up with to get somebody out of that state is to ask them, it's impossible unless, and I want you to pay attention to what happens in your mind when you hear that question, Mm your mind will go to problem solving mode and you won't be able to help yourself, you'll start listing down all those conditions, all those unless conditions that can make the impossible possible.
1: Right.
0: And, and and that's kind of what my podcast series is about and the book that I've written is, is how do you make impossible decisions and how do you achieve impossible goals? Mm-hmm. What are the fewest, simplest questions that we can ask you to help you identify and overcome a limiting belief that is blocking you from doing those two things.
1: Wow. I I absolutely love that statement because it really opens up your mind to think for solutions instead of saying, "Ah, I'm not going to try it at all. Um, And one last formal question for you is that if you were on the world stage and you get the next few minutes to give one message that you want everybody to remember Dr. Allen for, what's that one message?
0: I think it's starting back to the main discovery is that people are good. Good people make bad decisions for very good reasons, mm-hmm. right? It's our job to find out what those reasons are and help them check and challenge the assumptions on which those things are based.
1: Awesome, good, good words to live by. Um, before I let you go, I got five quick rapid fire questions. Give me the first thing that comes yeah. to mind. Um, yeah. Stranded on a desert island, you get one food to eat for the rest of your life. What's that one food, no consequence?
0: That's a great question. Um, Probably vegetables, like green vegetables.
1: Hollywood calls and go, hey, Dr. Allen, we want to do a biopic on you. Uh, Who would you cast to play you?
0: Well, that's a difficult decision. I'm like almost six foot six. Yeah, there's, I can't. CG. It, <laughs> probably Liam Nielsen or somebody like that, you know, this tall guys, kind of my complexion and, and sort of this combination of being serious and wanting to do serious work. But at the same time, knowing that we have to keep it fun, et cetera.
1: Okay, Liam Niel- Nielsen uh, comes yeah. to your door and goes, hey, I got casted to play you. Uh, let's get to know each other a bit more. And then he says, but I'm hungry. What's that special dish that you could prepare for, for your actor there?
0: Yeah, I, I love sort of all forms of kind of, you know, chicken salads, those type of things, chicken stir fry with vegetables that's with nice and spicy, et cetera. So that's, that's my go-to meal. <laughs>
1: okay. Uh, is there a, if you were to win the gold medal in the Olympics, which event would that be?
0: Well, uh, you know, I, I started off. I, I was a I was a sprinter, so it would always be like the hundred meters. You know, sprint event is to be the, the the epitome of of Olympic games. You know, so uh, that would be my go to event.
1: Oh, I'm going to have to ask this then. Uh, what was your best time for hundred meter?
0: Um, I got below the 11 seconds. Um, you know, I wasn't. Uh, you know, if I probably trained harder, except I would have gotten close to the 10-second mark, but that's kind wow. of what, uh, yeah. Um, but it, it, it's just a, a really, really special event. It's just, uh, you know, you have to, to have that instant power um, to, to be able to accelerate so, so fast. Mm.
1: I, I, I'm going to add this question on there, too. If you got to line up with one sprinter from the past to now, which sprinter
0: would that be? I mean, Hussein Bolt is, you know, just, uh, <laughs> if you just look at the guy's body, right? That to me is like, if somebody says to me, how do you want to be built if you have a magic wand, you know, and you can design your own body. I mean, he's just incredible to, to see the elegance of each, each one and how effortless it is. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, he was just lucky, got incredible genes, but obviously it's also a lot of hard work. But yeah, what an amazing guy. Awesome. Uh, give me a number from one to Four. Four.
1: One, two, three, four. So how is success like an airplane?
0: Um, success in an airplane for me is like traveling, you know, first class, um, <laughs> very comfortable, giving me an, an opportunity to reset. I I I often traveled, you know, with COVID, it's become much harder. But uh, I used to travel around 250 days a year. And being on an airplane was, to me, my reset button, you know, where you can start thinking about what has happened, what the lessons are that you want to learn from it, um, preparing where you're going to, getting into that right state of mind. that almost was like meditation for me.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you very much. That is how success is like an airplane. Uh, once again, thank you for your time and all the great uh, the nuggets of value that you just gave us right here. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, get to know more about what you do, uh, what's the best way to reach out?
0: Sure, my uh, personal website is drallenbarna.com. I have a YouTube channel that I can find under drallenbarna.com where we publish a lot of keynotes and insights, et cetera. And then our website for our apps is harmonyapps.com. And in there, you'll find the Harmony Decision Maker. You can also download it from all the app stores. Just go to your mobile app store or computer app store, type in Harmony Decision Maker, and you'll be able to download it from there.
1: Great, thank you very much. Uh, so everybody, make sure you check out all that great stuff: his book, his podcast, uh, his app. Um, any last words from you?
0: No, I think it's just encouraging people to, you know, pay attention to the fact that we are all in this mode where we uh, react most of the time, and you know, we make a lot of decisions every day. The good news is most of those don't matter, uh, but a few of them do, and they can matter a lot. and those ones that matter a lot and we have good instinct to instantly recognize, you know, whether it's trusting somebody or deciding our best to grow my business or how to get rid of an addiction. If it matters a lot, find a way of slowing down your decision-making, going through it step-by-step, asking other people to help because we all have blind spots and biases. It's much easier for me to spot your bias and blind spot than you know, for me to do it myself. So involve others and that's what we're trying to do with our Harley decision maker. Is we encourage people to use the platform to make better, faster decisions when it really matters, but also to share their decisions in our community library so other people can see our analysis, see the assumptions that was challenged and can hopefully learn from that, so we can make better, faster decisions together.
1: Great. Well, once again, thank you very much for all of that and it was a joy talking to you I got to learn a lot about decision making and for everybody else. He is Dr. Allen. My name is Fong Chuan. Until next time, today is the day to launch repeat potential. We'll see you later. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you.